listening to Radio Ed, a University of Denver podcast. We're your hosts, Nicole Militello, Alyssa Hurst, and I'm Lauren Fultonberg. Add the Olympics to that never-ending list of things that have looked a little strange during the coronavirus pandemic. What was supposed to be Tokyo 2020 became Tokyo 2021, throwing a major wrench into the travel and training plans of thousands of athletes across the globe. Gyms closed, major competitions were canceled, and a grueling four years of preparation suddenly became five. But the International Olympic Committee has decided, beginning Friday, the show will go on, even if there's no one in the audience. Coming up, Team USA's Director of Mental Health Services tells us about the physical and mental toll this has all taken on the country's strongest athletes. But we're gonna start with a first-person experience from an athlete training for what was likely to be her very last Paralympic Games. Lacey Henderson is a DU alumna who holds the US record in the long jump. She competed in Rio in 2016 and had her sights set on Tokyo. She takes us through all the ups and downs of her pandemic prep and told us what it was like when her training came to an abrupt halt. I almost feel kind of guilty, but like I felt kind I felt relief to be honest. Like so when things were kind of getting questionable there for a second, the world was shutting down. Like I was having an issue. I moved from Texas back to Denver because I couldn't get to facilities and like when COVID was really hitting hard, all of the tracks were getting locked up. Like I couldn't go to the weight room. You were like in your brother's garage. I was in my brother's garage. <laughs> yeah, that was when the gyms and everything shut down and he had a gym in his garage at the time. And, you know, we were like, well, if we can't run at a track, like maybe we can lift. And he was close to a track that just was open. They didn't have any gates, which is great. You know, you've been through plenty of adversity and plenty of changes in your life. How did it feel for you when they said, you know, Tokyo is in jeopardy? The majority of us like know what it's like to be very resourceful, to have to make moves just to find a track, to have to make moves just to find facilities. So it was kind of fun at first, but it's not ideal. And like that is another compounded stress where it's like, if you don't have a consistent training setup where you can just show up every day, when you have to put in mental effort and fortitude, just thinking about where can I go? Is it going to be open? What are the hours if it's open? Stuff like that. Like it just, it really is taxing on you overall. Tell me a little bit about leading up to the Olympic trials. So coming into trials, uh, the preparation was pretty, I mean, it was pretty much the same as any other Olympic quad or Paralympic quad. Like the, the preparation was there. The training was there. We had done the heavy volume, like the fitness was there. Everything was polished off like a diamond. Um, however, track meets and most competitions in general, thanks to COVID, looked and felt very, very different. We were at a lower profile high school track and field. We didn't have like um, a proper runway. Like a lot of people had to shorten their approaches and long jump. A lot of throwers were throwing like in softball fields. Like it was just, it was kind of nuts. There's just so many things out of your control and COVID really brought that to light that all you can do is really just try as best as you can and hope that the sport gods may shine light upon you because that's really what it comes down to um, in most aspects. It's just really, it's hard to perform. It's hard to perform when your mind is constantly trying to problem solve. When you're forcing your brain to function that way for a really long time, like you just burn out. It just completely burns out. And it's really hard to maintain because like, this is where motivation comes from. This is where the perseverance part comes from, but it's usually very short. And it, I think like all of the cliche 
I don't know, story, good, good storytelling ways of like finding motivation and pushing through, like those don't work when it comes to how hard it is for a very, very long time. And like, what it really comes down to is like, in my, and for me, what has, what it has really come down to is turning my brain off, putting one foot in front of the other, just showing up on the track and just powering through in a way that isn't really noble, just in a way to just keep moving. That was Lacey Henderson, a U.S. Paralympic hopeful. She's Team USA's first alternate for the Games next month. Behind Lacey and every Olympic hopeful is a team of supporters, family, friends, coaches, trainers, and increasingly, mental health professionals. Facing COVID, athletes increasingly turn to people like Jess Bartley. She's a clinical assistant professor in the Graduate School of Professional Psychology, and as of September, the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee's Director of Mental Health Services. She gave us an idea of how COVID could change athletic training for years to come, and gives us an inside look at what Team USA's athletes had to deal with. Watching the athletes struggle to change training routines, um, to understand um, isolation, um, understand their emotions, understand everything that's coming along with COVID has been really interesting. Um, it, there's a lot of athletes who delayed their lives for an additional year. There's some athletes who decided to just go ahead and call it. Um, I don't think I can make it another year. Uh, we've had a number of younger athletes age into the process who would have never made Tokyo 2020 and are now going to the games to represent Team USA this year. Um, so there's been a combination of things that have come up through COVID and just delaying the games a year um, with the training, with the mindset, uh, even the athletes we have going um, has been incredible to watch all of these athletes kind of struggle through um, training. Yeah, what is the difference between four years and five years when you're training for an Olympics? Oh, it's huge. You know, again, it's, it's you, put anything and everything you have into training. Um, and so I know that there was athletes who put off graduate school, put off college another year, put off uh, starting a family, um, just big decisions, big moves um, that was really, really tough to kind of sort through um, when you had four whole years to aim for this one event, and now it's another year. And so just to understand what that entire year would mean, um, not even knowing if they would qualify. Um, and I think that happened to quite a few of our veterans who toughed it out for one more year and just it just didn't happen. Right. Both physically and mentally, it's a struggle. Right. For mm -hmm. sure. How does the uncertainty of Tokyo 2020, Tokyo 2021, Tokyo maybe never play mm -hmm. into this struggle? Yeah, I think the uncertainty was one of the harder pieces for athletes to wrap their head around is, you know, we had the games delayed, but I think that if you were to, to rewind a little bit, that means qualifications were delayed. That means that qualifications were changed. So there were particular events that never occurred um, because we, we couldn't make it happen with COVID. Like um, there were international events where you would get points that allowed you to qualify. 
Um, there were uh, different rankings. So you knew you had three more competitions to potentially improve in your rankings and qualify. Now you only had one or maybe none and they just called the points. Um, so lots of very unique um, qualifications and we're using events from two and three years ago because it's the best we had. So if you performed your best in 2019, you could be going to represent Team USA. There's others that just fit in one last bit event that was all or nothing. Um, so there's a lot of different sports who did qualifications in very different ways. You joined the USOPC in September 2020 mm -hmm. full-time as Director of Mental Health Services, and I understand that's a role that has not existed Correct. before you. Yeah. What is your job exactly? Yeah, so I was building on um, years and years of sports psychology. So we were really supporting athletes around um, mental performance and some around mental health, but our sports psychologists travel, they're with these teams 24 seven, and it often made it difficult to support athletes in an ongoing way and support the athletes who perhaps are not going to the games or, or that are retiring. And so there was different ways of thinking about how we wanted to support the athletes as a whole person. Um, so how do we support them during injury? How do we support them in different phases of their life? And so those were some of the things we have started to work on. Um, we created a external mental health task force. So that has been about a year and a half now. And one of their very first directives was to hire a director of mental health. The other was to have mental health officers at the game. So those were the two things that started simultaneously and of course COVID. Um, so that delayed the mental health officers. But uh, when I came on in September, I was able to really focus on crisis. So we looked at all of the mental health crises that could be coming up with athletes as they were struggling with COVID or just in general. So they get cut from a team, they're injured, all of the times when their mental health might uh, be a little bit worse than normal. And so we created a mental health emergency action plan. Uh, we also created a 24 seven team mental health or team USA mental health support line. And so we have a 24 seven support line where the athletes can call and always connect with a mental health provider. Uh, gosh, the number of times we had athletes who went into trials, tested positive for COVID, they're done, mm. they're out, mm -hmm. you know? And so it, to have those support systems in place in the moment was really, really helpful. So crisis was really the first one. Then we ended up doing a lot of individual services. So how can we have um, our athletes have access to remote therapy, therapy in person, um, especially as we start to uh, kind of open up after COVID. We have support groups. And so we've had a number of support groups that we are um, standing up with athletes who don't qualify for the games. Um, we have athletes who are in support groups if they've been injured. Um, we actually have a support group for all of the moms who are going to the games. And so we have a number of moms who will be competing in Tokyo. And so wanting to get this group of women together to understand what their resources are, understand how hard it's going to be to potentially be away from their their babies, um, families. So we're trying to come up with all of these kind of safety nets under athletes and understand when they struggle, um, how we can support them. Right, right. And I saw that it's not just COVID. Um, swimmer Simone Manuel, mm -hmm. who won the gold in Rio in 2016 and then was on the verge of not qualifying. I know she's talked about how difficult it's been 
in the social climate of being yeah. black in the United States with everything that's gone on? Yes, I think we've thought about it kind of as a dual pandemic. Um, so along with my position, we actually hired a director of diversity, equity, and inclusion. So I've worked really closely with her around how we support athletes of color, marginalized athletes um, in the past couple of years. It was historically the USOC, um, the United States Olympic Committee, and it is now the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee. So we've really embraced our Paralympians um, and working to support those athletes as well. I, I know COVID has had a drastic effect on, on everyone. I saw some statistics from the CDC that, especially for people ages 18 to 25, um, people who normally struggle with mental health it's normally 30% and it was like 78% during is. COVID. Yeah. Is COVID what spurred the creation of your role and this increased focus from USOPC? No. So my role um, was coming to fruition long before COVID hit. Um, I think they really were just trying to understand what our athletes need. So uh, before I came on board, not only did we start to include the USOPC and include Paralympians in the mission of the organization, we also added um, to our mission statement sustained well-being. And so it's performance excellence and sustained well-being and started to think in a more holistic way about our athletes and what they might need to be able to compete to perform and to compete at their best. And so um, they created a whole division called Athlete Services. And so Athlete Services are very comprehensive. Um, we're looking at the entire lifespan of uh, Team USA athletes, anywhere from onboarding, making the team, um, injury throughout, any of the, the, the things that could come up in an athlete's career to even the, the post, um, the retirement, post games, things like that. So just being able to understand that an athlete is a whole person um, and, and just try to understand how we can support them best. Yeah, it seems like there's really a new understanding of the way mental health impacts competitive sports at all levels. Um, I read an op-ed or an opinion piece in the Washington Post that you're quoted in, um, and we'll link to that in the show notes too. But you said we're having to change the definition of mental toughness. Mm -hmm. I'm curious what the definition was before and what you see it as now. You know, I think we've had this idea that toughing it out or pushing through it um, was mental toughness. And I actually, when you start to look at the science and the data behind that, that doesn't necessarily equate to better performance. Um, and I think that that's been what a lot of, whether it be coaches or staff, administrators or athletes themselves have really thought is push through it that makes you stronger. Um, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And we're actually learning that to, to you know, how, how tough it is to be vulnerable and to um, really understand, okay, I'm struggling right now. How do I get those resources? How do I push through this and with it and understand what's going on in a way that will uh, make me a better athlete and a better person? <laughs> We're starting to see more and more of these athletes come forward about the struggles that they're having. Simone Manuel, who I mentioned earlier, Simone Biles, the gymnast has mentioned it. And in the tennis world, Naomi Osaka recently got some headlines for pulling out of the French Open because of um, the mental burden of competing and then talking with the news media afterwards. Why do you think more and more athletes are going public with this struggle and what effect does it have? You know, I think that the more athletes come out 
to speak on mental health, the more we're going to destigmatize it. Um, I feel like sport is often a vehicle for social change, um, and I think that it really could push society forward. If we continue to have celebrities and athletes, uh, notable athletes, come out to speak about their mental health, because the reality is our entire society and our entire world is struggling with mental health. Um, I think it's important to note everyone has mental health. Um, you're not necessarily going to be diagnosed with a mental illness. Those are actually really different. Um, but everyone has mental health. And so do you have good mental health, poor mental health? How are you taking care of your health mentally? Um, it's really important to know that everyone's going to have ups and downs. Everyone's going to struggle at times, whether that's the death of a loved one, whether that's COVID, whether it's um, what's going on around social justice and Black Lives Matter, um, Asian hate. Like there's so many times that people struggle and it's important to just acknowledge that and, and give the appropriate support that you would a physical injury. I think that's going to be important to really break down that stigma. You work with the, the best of the best, the most fit athletes in the world. I'm curious how you've noticed mental health awareness branching out from mm -hmm. that to less competitive sports, amateur sports, youth sports. Yeah, I think that the more the notable athletes, and as I mentioned, celebrities are talking about mental health, the more it is okay um, to trickle down to youth sport or to trickle down to society as a whole. Um, I think that you see somebody in the spotlight who is able to say like, I'm really struggling or COVID's been really hard. Um, it's been hard to train. Uh, I think that really normalizes it and it normalizes it for the entire population, that there are going to be hard days and there's times that you go to work anyways or you do something anyways, but you can also admit that it's hard, come up with strategies. Um, I think that we can continue to normalize. For a lot of these athletes and the people watching them, there's this thrill of competition, the fans going wild. We're not having fans in Tokyo this year. Does that have any sort of psychological effect on athletes? You know, the majority of athletes I've spoken to, and I alluded to this before, it's the uncertainty. And so when they named that there would be no spectators back in the spring, I think it was like, great, no spectators. <laughs> like, okay, now I can push forward right. and understand what this is going to look like. We right. have a number of ways of supporting athletes virtually. It's not ideal, but I think that was actually the piece that I heard the most often from the athletes is, okay, that was the decision that was made. This is how it's going to be. And now I can work with these circumstances. Um, it was actually, I think, a little bit unnerving to say, oh, now there's going to be Japanese spectators. <laughs> and then, oh, never mind, no Japanese spectators. So the back and forth has actually been much more um, stressful, hmm. in my opinion, than actually knowing things are going to be one way or the other. I think it's still going to be difficult, in my opinion. But Again, now that it's certain and we can start to plan for the ways that athletes can connect with their support system virtually, great. We know how it's going to be. Um, but I think the more things that we can get that are certain for the athletes, the better. Um, in my experience, this is a very regimented and routine group of human beings. Um, so again, the certainty piece is going to be key there. That's interesting. So even a detail that is theoretically not tied to an athlete's physical preparation or their performance has an impact on the way they prepare. 
For sure. And I think there's all kinds of tools, whether it's imagery, visualization, we've used some virtual reality to prepare athletes for what it is going to be like. Um, and so we're using those tools and then we're having to change them and change them again. Um, and athletes are having to be very creative. But I think once things are a little bit more certain, uh, that can often lead to a little bit more certainty around their performance. Last summer, I'm pretty sure, HBO released this documentary called The Weight of Gold. Michael Phelps narrates it, and it has a bunch of former and current Olympic athletes. And it's talking about this post-Olympic depression that mm -hmm. exists. And Michael Phelps says that at least 80% of athletes go through some sort of post-Olympic depression. I'm wondering, since you mentioned this earlier, what post-Olympic depression looks like and then how we help those athletes. Yeah, you know, from the athletes who I've been around working um, with post-games, uh, it's really tough to, to be at the top of your game. Maybe you did better than you thought. Maybe you did worse than you thought. But you had these expectations around this one event. And it's, again, for the Olympics and the Paralympics, it's four years, and this time five years. Um, so you're often riding this high. And there's all of these emotions. There's a lot of adrenaline going. And for most of what we're trying to understand, there is this kind of post-games blues, you know, four to six weeks out, um, that you're riding the high, and then eventually it gets to a point where you could walk into a coffee shop and no one knows that you just won a gold medal. Um, and so there's these, kind of this ebb and a flow. Um, that I've seen a lot with the athletes who did not qualify. Um, they had to get a job. They had to move forward with life. And no one knows that they are a two-time Olympian and just didn't make it this year and all of the things that are going on. So that's what we've actually found is the most helpful is we've let those athletes connect with each other because those are the ones that get it. Those are the ones that are like, I'm exactly in the same spot. And so that's been really helpful. Um, we're looking at some other programming to get athletes together, to understand who am I without sport? How do we translate all of the things that made you the best swimmer, soccer player into the workforce or into the next phase of life? Um, whether that is also you know, being the best parent or the best spouse. Um, I've had a number of conversations with athletes that you are so narrowly focused on this one thing that you block a lot of other pieces of life out. And so how do we start to integrate that? How do we understand um, what those other pieces of life are? What's important to you? Um, so we're really going to beef up our programming around uh, those supports. Are you going to Tokyo? I am. Oh my gosh. How are you feeling heading into the games? I'm really excited just to get there. I think that, um, again, the uncertainty piece. So one of the things uh, I was really excited, I was able to connect with a staff member um, from the IOC. And so the International Olympic Committee, she's been there for two months already. And so what I did was I had been speaking to her to get a sense of like, what is it like over there? And um, that, again, the certainty piece was incredibly helpful. So we invited her into one of our trainings for the staff and the athletes that are going over. And again, it's that certainty piece that, um, you know, it's people are wearing masks, but really, really happy, um, cordial. Again, you hear things like they want us here, they don't want us here. So again, the certainty piece. And I think I'm just excited to get over there and to, to really start experiencing it um, just because I, I think that um, you, you can imagine so many things up in your minds and we're not really going to know until we get over there. 
do you have any expectations of, of what it's going to be like? I don't. I actually feel like we are really well prepared. Um, so we have protocols for everything. I feel like the COVID protocols are incredible, like to keep us safe um, physically. We also have protocols in place mentally, should you be quarantined. Like we have very specific things. If we are to go into quarantine, um, you'll have a mental health provider assigned to you. Uh, we also have protocols around um, just how we move about in the, uh, the village, um, the Olympic village, uh, the venues. So there's, there's a lot of protocols in place that help improve and increase safety and the likelihood of somebody um, getting sick. Uh, we know things will happen though and we're ready for those. I think some of the other things we're also really prepared for is we've had an overhaul for uh, protest and demonstration. So that the, for the first time, um, the USOPC has lifted sanctions on um, protest. And so trying to understand what could could potentially come up with mental health around wanting to use your platform um, to protest and to demonstrate uh, and to support something in particular. And so I think that's going to be really big. Um, we have protocols for that around, you know, should you need mental health support? Should you need media support? So that's going to be really different as well. So lots of different pieces that we're hoping to provide mental health support around. Um, we've also, as I mentioned, have mental health officers. So should anything come up, we have identified identified mental health uh, officers that are licensed mental health providers, psychiatrists. We've got all of those folks on the ground to be able, you know, if you don't perform as expected, if something comes up back home, we've got a lot of things that are being managed um, around mental health. Does your role change at all while the Olympics are going on? How do you support athletes over there? You know, I think at this point, for me, um, I tend to not introduce anything new. And so a lot of it's reminding athletes of, of the supports they have or the skill set they have or the tools that they have that have gotten them to this place. But I think that um, my own personal philosophy is not to introduce anything new and just to really understand how an athlete got to exactly where they're at and what they might need in that moment. But it, it shifts a little bit to just kind of refining and maintaining and also thinking about crisis. Should something come up and really interrupt uh, what's going on, I think that that could influence um, how we're interacting. There's a number of things that come up, whether it is you know a, a death in the family or somebody is sick with COVID. Um, I, I keep thinking that you, if we have somebody who is sick with COVID on a team sport, we might take out the entire team. So there's all these different pieces that might come up um, and we're really prepared for, and we've paired athletes with rooming situations and we're flying them um, on different flights so that they're not together. But there's a lot of things that are going to be very different about this games, but also just in general, as you get into the games. Right, for the games of the future, Mm -hmm. Has there been anything from this five-year cycle that you think will stick and be applied like as common practice? You know, I, I think and I hope that mental health will be much more a part of the conversation moving forward. I think we've had a number of really prominent athletes who are speaking out on mental health and how important that is. I think there's been more resources. There's been a better understanding of what the athletes um, really experience day to day, whether it is that balancing of school or work, travel. Um, I know a number of athletes who are caring for 
really ill family members um, with COVID and you had to decide like, I can't go to this competition because if I were to then get exposed, I don't think I would get sick, but I can't bring that back into the house. And so it's just been such a struggle, but I think I've seen a number of athletes speak to those struggles. And again, it starts to become normalized. Jess Bartley is with DU's Sports and Performance Psychology program, and in Tokyo, for the most part, she'll be with Team USA's karate athletes. Lacey Henderson, the long jumper from earlier, isn't DU's only Paralympian. In our show notes, meet two other athletes who had to change course and tough it out when the pandemic hit. Plus, you'll find more details on Team USA's mental health services and a trailer for that HBO documentary we mentioned. That's all at du.edu slash radioed. Alyssa Hurst is our executive producer. Tamara Chapman is our managing editor. James Swearingen arranged our theme. I'm Lauren Fultenberg, and this is Radio Ed.